Welcome to Candace History Podcast. My name is Julie Richards and I am this year's Nobleman Scholar at Candace History Society. Over the past month, it has been my pleasure to chat with the 2021 Governor General's History Award Excellence in Teaching shortlist. Listen in as the teachers and I discuss their wonderful and inspiring projects, teaching during the pandemic, and how to keep students engaged in history. Today I'm speaking with Mark Perry from Hampton High School in Hampton, New Brunswick. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to the Teaching Candace History Podcast. Let's dive right in. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your classroom? Great. Thanks, Julia, for having me. Uh, First uh, off, I I would really like to uh, recognize the territory that I'm speaking from. This is uh, referred to as Wabanaki Territory, and it's covered by a series of treaties that were first signed in 1725. Uh, They're called the Peace and Friendship Treaties. So unlike some of the other treaties across Canada, this treaty, this series of treaties does not cede territory uh, or surrender territory. So I'm actually on um, land that is Wabanaki territory. Our school is situated in, on this territory. And, and uh, I just felt it really important to acknowledge that at the beginning. It just gives a little frame of reference. So yes, my name is Mark Perry. I've been teaching for, well, I'm going to be going into my 33rd year of teaching uh, this coming September. It'll be my last year of teaching. Um, I spent uh, most of these years in Hampton at Hampton High School, but I also spent six, seven years at Canada Cases Valley High School, which is, I believe, the second largest high school in the province. Hampton High School is a a smaller school of about between uh, five and 600 students. And so my work um, has taken me, me also outside of the school, uh, sort of the classroom, into the department. I, I worked on curriculum at the Department of uh, Early Childhood, or sorry, Department of Education and Early Childhood Development. And then I worked in the district, my, my district, uh, as a social studies subject coordinator. So I've been working in the area of social studies education for, for 32 years. And uh, before retiring, I, I wanted to spend the last two years back in the classroom. I certainly wanted to retire, uh, retire there with the, with the students. That sounds like an amazing school. Um, do you want to give us a, a quick rundown of your project? Yeah, yeah. Just a, a little bit more on the, the, the school. Um, Hampton High School, as I said, is a, it's a school of about 500, 600 students. And it has a long tradition for teaching about uh, human rights. Uh, Hampton is the hometown of John Peters Humphrey, who was the first uh, writer, the drafter of the uh, United Nations Universal Declaration on, of Human Rights. And uh, so from our small town as such, we, we teach about him and we teach about human rights issues. So it's a very interesting community. And in addition to that, Many, many years ago, about 50 years ago, uh, the, the Department of Education was recruiting teachers from other countries, uh, particularly uh, England and South Africa, and uh, to teach in the area of art. And some of these, uh, many of these teachers that came kind of laid the foundation for a, a very significant art community and a focus on the arts in general. So our community has uh, sculptures and paintings and murals and mosaics and, and artifacts that, you know, that are very kind of bright, expressive, and uh, really express what young people are learning about human rights as well. So 
just wanted to say that it's, a, it's an artistic community. It's a progressive community and, uh, and uh, one that, that has focused on human rights for a long time. So my project, uh, I should say our project, uh, is unique in the sense that it's, I think, multifaceted. And it took over 10 years to, to complete. And I, I, I don't even, I shouldn't even say that it's uh, completed because it's, it's, the nature of this is that it's an ongoing project. So basically, it started out, um, you know, as a smaller project where we we wanted to do what has become known as soldier research, and so I had my my students off to the local cenotaph, and we recorded the names from the cenotaph, the the names of the individuals who did not come back from World War One, and. Uh, you know, I wanted my students simply to learn the stories, researching through primary documents, secondary sources, these stories so that they could tell them to the community. So along that, that path, one of the students suggested that, um, you know, we perhaps put all these stories into a, a volume, a book. So we did. And uh, then another student suggested that we actually write the key moments of Canadian involvement in World War I. And chronologically, and then put these soldier stories in context. So all of this led to the production of a first of five books. And so over a 10-year period, the project evolved from doing just soldier research to writing the stories of many community members over the last 100 years, people from southern New Brunswick. And so basically, we started with soldier research with primary documents and military records and that type of thing. And it evolved to excavating attics and basements to discover all kinds of primary documents from photographs to postcards to letters and diaries that gave us the information. And, and along with interviewing community members, uh, we did over oh, oh, 60, 60 to 70 video interviews with, with veterans of World War II and their families in order to kind of capture some of the other stories. So long story short, over the 10-year period between two schools, Hampton High School and Kennebecasis Valley High School, we produced five books, and there were hundreds of students involved. I, I can't count the, the number of students, but there were hundreds of students involved, and I created editorial teams out of each group of students that would come through year after year to kind of edit, to produce, to fine tune the, the publications. Three of the five volumes, um, well, I should say that the research then moved beyond World War I to World War II. And uh, presently, we're looking at writing the biographies of Wabanaki uh, soldiers. So that would be the Mi'kmaq, Wastegwig, and Bezgodomugati uh, soldiers from this territory. Um, so, so basically five books were produced and three of the books, three of the volumes were published. So the students who were involved in, in that section of books were published authors before they finished high school. So I, I you know, it's multifaceted project. Uh, although there were five volumes published, <clears throat> there were over 180 biographies and there were over 50 different, uh, 50 different stories that provide the context in which we kind of inserted the, the stories of individuals. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of from this work is that uh, 
I taught, I taught at the university for years, night courses and so on, social studies education. <clears throat> and one of my students in the university courses said, uh, I have to come clean and, and tell you, I think I did something wrong. And I said, well, what's that? And, and, and she said, well, I came across the work of your students in our university library, one of the books, and I used the information in order to do one of the projects that you've asked us to do here at the university. And I said, you have done nothing wrong. You've done my students at the high school a great service. I don't think there's anything when you do that type of work that you can be more proud of than you have university students that are using your work as a source for their research. And on top of that, um, two military historians from the University of New Brunswick, Lee Windsor and Mark Milner, along with other colleagues, they, they wrote a series of of books uh, on military heritage in New Brunswick. And for one or two of the books, they used our work as secondary sources to complete their work. So not only was it university students using the high school students' work, but it was professional historians. So that was quite quite exciting for, for the students. Yeah, absolutely. That must be so, so impressive, um, just like the caliber of work that these students are creating for historians and university students to be using it. That's amazing. Yeah. And I will say, yeah, it was a really a moment of, of pride for, for those students. And uh, I, I can really attest to the fact that the quality is, is quite high. Um, there is no, not one Google image in the five books um, all of the images were taken by the students or were found by students or provided by family members. Uh, my colleagues and I have taken students on tours overseas and we've gone to some key sites. So we took photographs of the sites that we wrote about. And a lot of those photographs are inserted in the books as well. Uh, another thing I should mention, though, and a unique aspect of the project is that although the central you know, the, the main cohorts for this were grade 11 and 12 students, uh, primarily grade 11. We engaged two other students in our, in our area in, in what we call the Kennebecasis Valley in southern New Brunswick. We, we, we engaged students, grade one students and grade five students in two other schools, Lakefield Elementary School and Fairvale Elementary School, to contribute to our books. So we have student work from all levels, grade one, five, grade 11, grade 12. Uh, it's really incredible. So the grade 11 students, I remember on one occasion, had a session with uh, the grade grade fives and the grade fives were teaching the grade 11s about what they had found in a lot of the primary documents that we had we had passed along to them. So it just goes to show that even the youngest learners can be engaged in real history. So that was an exciting aspect of the project as well. There were uh, there have been many offshoots from the project. It hasn't just been the the five major books. Um, a colleague of mine took the first book and several of the stories from that book and produced a play that was uh, that was um, performed on several occasions to fairly large audiences in this in southern New Brunswick. And there have been numerous documentaries that have been created by students and members of the, the local legion to 
uh, I guess, to tell the stories to other community members. So there are a lot of, that's an exciting part of it too, where you have all these offshoots that, you know, come from the initial project. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of takes on a life of its own at that point where it's being adapted into different medias as well. That's amazing. And um, so what inspired you to develop this project? Well, it it's going to sound, I'm, I, I get teased uh, from time to time with members of my family and sometimes people that I work with about the fact that I like to be meticulous about the work that I'm engaged in and not about all things, but, you know, the work that I'm engaged in, I guess, in my professional life. And from an early, I guess, early point in my career, uh, there were three areas of work that I wanted to make sure that I, I delved into over my career. And I mapped them out, actually, early on. And I thought, well, if I could do the first third of my career with a focus on human rights education, the second third of my career on uh, soldiers uh, from our area and Canadian military heritage, and the third, uh, the last part of my career on Indigenous peoples and telling those stories, the histories. Uh, I just felt that those were three areas when I started 33 years ago that were lightly dealt with, that I know now there's a, a significant trend for students across the country to delve into soldier stories and so on, and and human rights. And even now, uh, in the wake of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, to focus more on Indigenous peoples, which is tremendous. But when I started, in these three areas, there was very little being done. There was very little talk about, you know, we'll talk about human rights, about newcomers, and leading students to issues and debates about um, you know, some of the things that occur when you, you're trying to evolve a, a multicultural community and province and nation, um, and focus on military soldiers. Nobody in our community knew the stories of people who had gone off to war and didn't come back and, and those who went off to war and, and survived and came back and, and dealt with significant, um, significant issues within their families and communities. Uh, and and finally, there was next to nothing um, being taught about Indigenous peoples uh, in our schools. And I think that has come to light very, very recently. So I, in 2007, I was on a Canadian battlefield tour with Terry Kopp, who's a renowned historian. And Terry Kopp took us to the various battlefields where Canadians fought and World War One and Two, and it was such a an emotional and, and kind of engaging experience that I knew that I had to do something to follow up, and it just kind of fit that battlefield tour fit within that second third of my career, where I was looking at 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 soldiers and trying to bring more light to to the the soldiers of our community and you know, the contributions, and uh, so that's where the inspiration came. It just came at a moment in my career where I was heavily focused already in this area and uh, just such an emotional experience uh, for all of us that I knew I had to follow up in a significant way to contribute to the community, the school, the students, their parents, and and so on, to bring these stories to, to light. And I'm really happy to say that you know, I remember one of my students uh, saying, you know, after Remembrance Day ceremony, um, Mr. Perry 
how is it that we are supposed to remember something that we never knew? And I thought that was such a, a tremendous a statement uh, and observation that we ask students to do all kinds of things, to be respectful, to, to be reverent, to remember day ceremonies, to stand and to be silent and to listen, to learn, and to remember. And there's that moment of silence where we ask them to remember, we ask ourselves to remember, but what a great point. If there's nothing to remember, you know, how can you really do this authentically? So what the soldier research did and these books have done, tell the stories of uh, veterans and to tell the stories of community members and their families and their histories where they've been involved in conflict, that has provided an opportunity for people in our community to remember authentically. That now in that moment of silence, they can think to some of the stories that the students have shared with them. And if it weren't for the students and the work they've done here, I, 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 you know, I just can't imagine that anybody could really get to the heart of remembrance or, or thinking about the past in a significant way. That's, that's such a deep insight into, into Remembrance Day because it's so true, too, that um, too often I feel like local histories of World War I um, soldiers or even World War II soldiers aren't fully researched and it's not... It's not really clear how it connects to your local community. Um, so you've already, you've briefly touched on this, um, but what, what would you say is the greatest impact of your project? Yeah, um, I think that's such a great question. That's the important question. Uh, we have to really kind of, you know, as educators, I think we have to be really careful that what we do is not just busy work, that we're not engaging students in work for the sake of work. And if we don't, think about what the impact is going to be prior to the work, or we can't identify what it's going to be, I don't think we ought to engage in it. I think we have to be really, really careful that we do valuable work and that we do work that's going to have an impact. So I have some things to say about that, but just on, on your last point about, uh, you know, the observation and, the, you know, that kind of insight, um, the, by that student, um, Presently, the project has evolved into uh, identifying and then and, and researching the stories of Indigenous peoples in, in this territory, so the Wabanaki peoples of this territory. So that's where we're, we're working presently, and what an eye-opener that's been. Uh, and so we can apply the same thought there that, you know, when we think about truth and reconciliation, you know, how can we truly reconcile something? if we don't know what we're reconciling. So this project now is focused on uh, deep understanding, uh, a greater understanding of the Wabanaki peoples of this territory so we can authentically engage in, in, in reconciliation. So that whole philosophy, that theme kind of carries right through this, this project that's evolving. The greatest impact uh, I th greatest impact that I saw and I had anticipated was on the community and family members within the community. Uh, that people in the community for the first time, because of the students' work, um, understood the stories of people who had come before them. We encountered family members who we interviewed and 
you know, veterans of World War II that we video interviewed who broke down into tears, learning more about their uncles and, you know, grandfathers and fathers and, and so on. And in, a, in several situations, we, we actually united members of families, people who didn't know that the other existed, that we kind of discovered in, in doing the research, or at least they didn't know that they were so close. One of the stories that comes to mind is of uh, a man that we were researching who had lost his life in the Italian campaign. And he basically was killed on the front of the tank while his friends watched. Uh, his, their position was attacked during the night of mortar attack. And so they witnessed him die. And they called him Papa. He was the father of the, of the, of the regiment. And he had uh, kid, three kids at home. So he left those three kids. And so subsequently, we were interviewing another man who started telling us a story that was very similar to this. So one of the students said, well, Mr. Perry, that sounds like, you know, the, the soldier that I was researching. And um, it turned out that this man, Charlie Ray, said, Yes, that is the person who we called Papa. So what we did was, in, in researching the first story, Murray Burns, what we did was we discovered that his one of his daughters was living in the area. So we united Murray Burns's daughter, Murray Burns, who had died, his daughter, who was very, very young, you know, very young when his, her father went off to war. We introduced her to Charlie Ray. Charlie, who was there when her father died. So Charlie was able to talk to uh, Noreen about the type of man that her father was. And he referred to her, to him as a prince of a man. They all looked up to him. And so for years uh, after uh, Noreen and, and Charlie would attend Remembrance Day ceremonies at the same place, the Harbor Station in St. John. And so they'd have tea together and, and so on. And uh, so there's just one of the examples of how community was impacted. Uh, each, of the, um, each of the books, when they were launched, we had a, a book launch and we had the theater was filled with you know, veterans and family members and so on. And we invited some of these key people to, to speak and to be introduced at those book launches that were presented by, organized and presented by the students. So that was the first major impact on communities. Uh, on the communities in the Kennebecasis Valley. Um, the second great impact, of course, was on the students. And several of the students who, who have been engaged in the project work have gone on to do uh, degrees at the university level. And a couple of those students are working on their PhDs in history. And um, two or three of the students that I'm aware of, and there are more, I think, have gone on to significant military careers. And I, I know of uh, a couple of uh, students that went on to be pilots in the, in the Air Force and, and so on. And when I, when I see them today, some of these young men and women, they will say that the moment in their high school experience where they really realize that history um, is – History is, it ought to be approached in an authentic way, they said, was when they engaged in the soldier research or the community research work. 
So those two areas, the impact on the community and the impact on the students themselves, uh, clearly were, were the greatest. That's, that's such an incredible story. Um, and that's just amazing that you're able to, to connect those two people like that. That's, that's just incredible. Um, so how do you how do you try to keep your students engaged in history and how, how do you try to keep it relevant to them? Yeah, another another great question, Julia. Yeah, that, you know, on the, on the story, just to follow up on that, there are just numerous, numerous stories like that where people were brought together because of the work. So when, you know, people ask about the project, you know, we say, well, it's a project that's evolved over 10 years. It's still ongoing. It's multifaceted. There are offshoots. There have been things produced out of the, the research and so on. It doesn't do justice to the human factor. And this, uh, this kind of leads me into engagement. The, you know, reuniting or uniting people and bringing people together is what this history has done. And I think that that's the key to engagement. It's doing real history uh, with real people, real research, authentic research. And it's moving away from this notion uh, that research is Googling everything or research is doing a cursory kind of glance through a textbook to determine, you know, a particular narrative. Um, real history, engaging students in real history is uh, is having them delve into primary documents, is having them engage in historical thinking. So not just to be recipients of uh, the teacher's narrative, you know, and, and often it's one that the teacher has, has learned and just passes on because they feel, well, that's a story I learned. This is the story they're going to get. That's, that's really wrong. It's really not the right way to go about things. So I engage students in historical exploration. Uh, I use the historical thinking concepts in order to, as a, as a framework, as a, as a kind of a guide to, to develop experiences that target each of the historical thinking concepts. So students in the end begin to think, or in the process, begin to look at history as they're not just looking at memorizing stories. What they're doing is they're, they're looking, they're understanding what history is. They're understanding that the stories that come our way need to be challenged. They need to be, uh, you know, they need to be criticized. They need to be critiqued. You know, uh, the authors of those stories, their backgrounds need to be known. Their agendas need to be known. Their biases need to be identified. So when, when you engage in history in that manner, uh, it's deeper, it's richer, and it's more authentic. And the students absolutely love it. You know, they love that approach. And this isn't to say that, you know, that, you know, that there aren't moments in in, in the classes that, you know, where teachers are teaching to historical thinking, there aren't moments that are, you know, where we have students um, kind of look at a timeline, for example, you know, or to, or to read a particular narrative in a textbook, a reader section of a textbook, all of that is a part of it. But, but I would equate, you know, having students look at a chronology, for example, of a particular period to, you know, to using the multiplication table in order to get to another level, in order to engage, in order to apply. That 
you know, starting with certain narratives or, or chronologies is just that. It's the foundation, the starting point, the leaping off point where we can then say, this segment, this story, does this seem logical to you? From, from whose perspective is this story being told? Why is this story being told? What is the agenda? What is the message? What are the underlying messages? What are the things that, that uh, messages that are being conveyed by a particular source that are, were not intended by the author? Right. And, and so by doing this analysis with the foundational kind of pieces, you get to a, a higher level of engagement. Uh, and I must say that there is no social studies or history experience that can be uh, really, really valuable if it doesn't include students engaging in the exploration of issues, being brought to points of tension by looking at controversy, looking at different points of view on issues. Um, so this is something that has been absent in social studies education for many years. And over the last decade, I'd say there'd been, you know, kind of leaps and bounds in, in, in progress and the notion that, you know, social studies is only valuable when students are examining issues, real issues. And so I think that for me, that's the heart of it. Historical thinking historical thinking, teaching those skills, engaging in, in historical thinking, engaging in critical thought, and the exploration of issues. That's, that's the way I, I try to engage students. That's such an amazing philosophy to have, and, and you're totally right that it keeps, um, keeps students engaged when you're giving them like practical tools to use, and, yeah, and them reading primary sources is such a valuable experience and it's kind of fun too. Like I've done it before. Um, it's really interesting to be able to hold something like that or see an old document like that. It's really fun. Well, it, it is fun. I mean, one of the, one of the assignments that I do, you know, when we're finishing world war two, there's a, a unit on the Holocaust, of course, in the grade 11 modern history course. And, and, it's one thing to go through the various stories, to go through the, the stages to the final solution and, and so on and so forth. And I think all teachers will tell you that it's very easy to engage students in that material because it's so graphic, right? But that's a, a mistake that educators will make, in my view, is that if you just stay there, if we pat ourselves on the back and we say, wow, I had the kids engaged today, dealing with the Holocaust. Well, my, my response would be, if you have, if your students are not engaged when you are doing a unit on the Holocaust, uh, you'll, I mean, they, all students are engaged when you, you're looking at the Holocaust. Like I said, because it's such a horrendous, you know, series of events. Um, but there's a mistake made if we just leave it at that. If we just pat ourselves on the shoulder and said, well, I've done that. I've engaged the kids. They were pretty excited about that unit. On we go. So what I, what I try to do is bring them to the human beings, real people, and connect to this place where they are. So I came across the story of a, a man who uh, survived uh, concentration camps, and he was taken by the Red Cross to a place in Sweden called Malmo, Sweden, 
where they're trying to breathe life into them again. And I came across a series uh, from a, uh, a colleague at the university, uh, University of New Brunswick, uh, a series of documents produced by this individual, so primary sources, telegrams and letters and, and you name it, photographs and so on from this individual. And he was originally from Hungary. And so he was writing to an extent, extended family members in St. John, New Brunswick, because he had nothing. So he was seeking transfer of, you know, small bits of money and donations so that he could kind of get himself to a point where he could get his life back together again. He had lost his entire family. So instead of just telling the story, what I set up was an opportunity for students to examine one by one each of the primary documents. So I began with the initial telegram. And you've seen telegrams before. They have very little information. They have kind of words that are, you know, keywords, and then there's a date and there's a place and so on. So the students had to be historical detectives and determine who the person was, what it is they wanted, what their situation was over a one-year period. Because I had the documents that he had sent to the family and lawyers and so on over a one-year period. So they had to create what I called a year in the life of Michael Fried. And so they could only write his story, that one year story following World War II, um, based on the documents they received. And then documents that they would be led to by the primary documents, but they weren't uh, permitted to go to Google. They weren't permitted to, you know, Go go to other sources that were that they were not led to by the primary documents. So the this the chronologies that the students came up with were remarkably close to what actually happened. So it showed that their examination of the sources was you know was was right on. So I, I guess that that kind of is a an example of an activity that encapsulates that philosophy that all history being taught has. To engage students has got to come back to has got to come to human beings, real people, right? Not just a mention of a group of people, but real people that have been, you know, hopefully from the local community um, or surrounding area, so that they can really, really relate. I think that's the only way that we really get them to a point of, uh, you know, significant appreciation of history. That sounds like such an incredible project, and. And super interesting. Um, yeah, that's, that's really amazing. Um, well, that's that's everything that I have. Uh, did you have any final thoughts that you wanted to add to anything? Well, no, I don't think so. I think your questions were, you know, pretty comprehensive, and and I hope that you know, hope everything was uh, clear enough, and you know, articulated well enough, and and so on. So it's. I really appreciate you uh, you contacting me and giving me the opportunity to, to chat. Yeah, no problem. It's been a pleasure chatting. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome.